Since the summer, I have been down on the Pac-12's chances of getting a team into the college football playoff, but those odds are ticking up every week. Yeah, Washington helps, but Utah is the key. You are Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pac-12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with our media rights and soon to be mostly team-free. But until then, beloved and loaded Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics to treat over 50 infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. College football playoff hopes the curious case of USC and Noah Fafita coming up on today's show. Quick shout out to the uh, law students at St. Mary's University over in Texas, who I had the chance to talk with earlier today as I'm uh, recording the show. Good luck in your competition, everybody. Uh, It was certainly an enjoyable chat. We're talking about uh, all sorts of things, and we're going to talk about all sorts of things on today's show. Let's start with the college football playoff. So ever since, uh, you know, June, July, I, when football actually came up, you know, June and July, that was a much different time because it was all about the realignment stuff and such. And uh, all those moves have settled and whatnot. And we got to actually talking about football. And I've long been of the belief that, yeah, I don't see the Pac-12 getting a team into the playoff this year. Why? Because the the the, the league is too loaded. It's just so stacked. You've got USC, you've got Oregon, you've got Washington, you've got Oregon State and Utah in there. UCLA and Washington State are wild cards. Now Arizona looks good. The odds are going up, though, that a team could get in. Why do I suddenly think that? Because I'm looking at what is happening in Utah and the lack of Cam Rising stepping onto a football field, which every dayers are aware was my biggest question for Utah entering the season. What, what are you going to have at the quarterback position? Utah, without Cam Rising, is still a good football team. Because what Kyle Whittingham has done, is established a defensive culture and one that has tremendous coaching and player development. And they've got talented guys coming into the program every year as well. And they are, they have established perhaps the highest floor of any program in the PAC 12. You think that's crazy since Utah has joined the PAC 12, their worst record has been five and seven. Oregon's had a four and eight season. USC's had a four and eight season. Washington has had a four and eight season. Utah's worst record, five and seven. And they're over 500 basically every year. Their floor is so ridiculously high. The question for them over the last couple of seasons, particularly on offense, has been what's the ceiling? What can the ceiling be? How much can we raise the ceiling? How much more explosive and dynamic can Utah be offensively? They'll always be a defensively led team, which is fine, but they had to do more. Well, they started to do more last year, the last couple of years, really. And guess what? Suddenly they elevated to the point where they won the conference and are the two-time reigning Pac-12 champions, lest we forget. Now, coming into the year when I did my record predictions, I had everyone amassing at least two losses in the regular season. And I know I'm not going to predict every game correctly. That's impossible. But one of the fundamental reasons 
that I looked around and said, okay, I don't see the Pac-12 getting a team into the playoff because a two-loss team doesn't get into a four-team playoff, and I don't think that'll happen this year either, is because Utah, with Cam Rising, is going to beat some contenders, right? Before the year, I had them beating Oregon at home. Right now, Oregon and Utah, even in Salt Lake City, I take the Ducks. Before the season, I had Utah going into Seattle and beating Washington. Still something that is very possible, by the way if Cam Rising plays, but we're so far into the season. Utah and USC is this week, and we'll talk more about the Trojans a bit later, and they're well aware of what Utah is capable of. Utah and USC is this week. And if you remove the Utes as a team that can go toe-to-toe with and ultimately beat and therefore give a loss to another Pac-12 and college football playoff contender, you are operating in a world that increases the conference's chances of getting a team into the college football playoff. Because we know you have to be a one loss or unbeaten power five champion. Now that is very much on the table for Washington. Oregon is still alive in that conversation. USC, I don't know if they've got the team for it, but from a record standpoint, they absolutely are in that spot. Remember, they have a conference loss right now, or they don't have a conference loss. Oregon does. If the season ended today, it it would be Washington and USC in the Pac-12 championship game. Now, that's why, of course, we are going to play the second half of the regular season because there's a lot to play out and a lot of great matchups and everything like that. But when I look at the playoff calculation, my my steadfast belief of, no, I I don't see anybody being good enough to overcome this league. If you take Utah out of that conversation, that narrative changes. Do I still lean in that direction? I do. But do I feel as strongly about it? Absolutely not. Before the year, I would have said nine and a half out of 10 on my personal confidence meter, Pac-12 doesn't get a team into the playoff. That's dropped down to like an eight. That's dropped down to like an eight because Washington still has to go at Oregon State. They still have to go at USC. And I know USC is really down, but I'm going to talk about them later because I think they're a, a fascinating team in this entire discussion. Also, if Cam Rising doesn't play, I love the minus six and a half against the Utes uh, back at home. But Washington still has to go uh, play at Oregon State. They have to play at USC. They've still got to play Wazoo in a rivalry game. And they also, you can't forget this. You cannot forget this. They've still got to play the Pac-12 championship game. Whoever that ends up being, whether it's Oregon and Washington or Washington and Oregon State or Oregon State and Oregon or Oregon State and U.S. I mean, I mean, there's still a bunch of different combinations, right? Because the, the leaders of the conference right now who have distinguished themselves are now all starting to play one another, beginning with USC and Utah this week. But this kind of bounce around matchups or a set of matchups that is going to lead to some teams accumulating losses and some teams picking up really good wins. One thing that we don't have to question is the strength of schedule, right? You don't have to look very hard to see yeah, the Pac-12 is really, really good. You know, Washington State is starting to regress back to the mean. But guess what? Half the conference is still ranked. You've still got Washington and Oregon, followed by Utah and Oregon State. And then USC and UCLA are the lowest-ranked Pac-12 teams right now. The Bruins are 4-2, and two, and they will, uh, in all likelihood, beat Stanford on the road this week. So I, I look at where the conference is at right now and think that that is an interesting subplot developing with the back, which is a backdrop or a secondary storyline, I think, to who's going to meet in the Pac-12 championship game. Because like last year, college football playoff hopes could be on the line. But but think about it like this. 
let's say that Oregon loses to Utah or USC, wins the rest of their games, 10 and 2, and that ends up being good enough to get them in the Pac-12 title game. Let's say Washington loses to, I don't know, Oregon State, but nobody else, and you've got an 11-1 Washington against a 10-2 and Oregon. Does anyone honestly believe that there's no way Oregon wins that game? Because I watched that same game play out, not exactly, in 2019. 11 and 1 Utah, 10 and 2 Oregon. Advantage, 10 and 2 Oregon. It's just the Pac 12's way of life. Oregon was on the cusp of making the playoff in 2021. Utah said, nope, we got other plans. USC a season ago, one game away. Utah, nope, we want to go to the Rose Bowl and get another crack at it. So the, these are all just, I think, outstanding storylines to follow as Pac 12 football fans in the final season of uh, our beloved league here because. I, I really, really believe that it's going to be as entertaining and has been as entertaining as we'd hoped for to this point. Washington State, UCLA, their Pac-12 title hopes are out. I didn't think either one was in that conversation a serious way before the season. That has played out to this point. But everybody else, each of the five contenders that I talked about before the season, Washington, Oregon, Oregon State, USC, and Utah, all still record-wise and I think team caliber-wise alive to get to that game. It's right where we want to be, and it's going to be wildly entertaining as these contenders start to play one another. We had Washington and Oregon last week, USC and Utah this week. My, oh my, is it going to be a really good time. USC is, you got to hear this about USC. You need to hear about Jace Medical as well. In a world filled with as much uncertainty as this one has, you should be empowered to take care of yourself and your loved ones based on your unique needs. Jace K the Jace case does just that with five life-saving essential antibiotics that treat the most common and deadly bacterial infections. Jace Medical now offers customizability for your Jace case with dozens of add-on medications. Choose the medications that best fit you and your family's unique needs. Go to jacemedical.com, enter code locked on at checkout for a $20 discount off the Jace case and get it mailed directly to your home. Jacemedical.com, enter promo code locked on. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. Enter that promo code locked on. This episode of Locked On Pac-12 also brought to you by FanDuel, our friends who are providing all the lines for my Pac-12 prime picks, which are at 500 on the season. I'm not unhappy with it. I'm not unhappy with it. And you will be more than just not unhappy when you go check out FanDuel. You will be thrilled with America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. When you place a $5 bet, that's $200 in bonus bets, whether you win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. They've got spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on. Kick off the NFL season. Got all the college football stuff you want as well. Well, FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. All righty. USC is curious. USC is curious because everyone has written them off. They are a 6-1 and one team that is ranked number 18. It was either 18 or 19 in the AP poll. Anyway, they're a lot further than uh, where their preseason expectations were. They were a team that had been falling in the rankings after racking up wins early in conference play. Why? Because they hadn't been very impressive. They had not looked very good. So the strange case of USC goes something like this. The Trojans right now are an easy team to overlook. Even Colin Coward, who is a USC homer, down on the Trojans. 
USC fans not feeling great. Alex Grinch got to be out. All this stuff, not good. Caleb Williams, bad game. I did a little bit of digging. Here's what I want you to consider with USC. And I think Trojan fans listening to or watching this show will be the first to tell you I am no great fan of the Trojans on a personal level. However, I do find this to be highly interesting. So Lincoln Riley, when he was the head coach at Oklahoma, and that's what he is essentially built at USC. It's the same football team, great quarterback, Heisman caliber, explosive offense, no defense. And if the offense isn't amazing, team is no good. Okay. Same team. It is, it is the exact same team, same offensive coordinator, Lincoln Riley, same head coach, Lincoln Riley, same defense coordinator, Alex Grinch. So maybe we shouldn't be surprised that it's the same team. Here's what I wonder about. The Trojans played their worst game of the season, even worse than the Arizona game. Arizona is a better team, or sorry, Notre Dame is a better team than Arizona, but they're not 28 points better like that. USC played a miserable football game. In 2017, Lincoln Riley's first year at the helm after Bob Stoops retired, his team made the college football playoff. They lost to Iowa State that season in their fifth game of the year at home, 38 to 31. Okay, that's a thing that happened. 2018 comes around. Kyler Murray's at the helm. Actually, Kyler might have been 2017. I think Baker was 2018. I might have that backwards. No, I don't. Baker was 2017. Kyler was 2018. And then Jalen Hurst was 2019. That's right. 2018 comes around. They made the college football playoff. Do you know what they did in their sixth game of the year? It was Red River. They lost to Texas, 48-45. So back-to-back years, they made the playoff, losing their fifth game of the year and their sixth game of the year. Can you argue those teams look more impressive than this USC team through the first few weeks? Sure, you can. But as I said, this is the same team with the same coach. It's the same sort of structure. Let's put it that way. It's The team is structured the same way. In 2019, Jalen Hurts at the helm. They lost to Kansas State in their eighth game of the season. Let's go back to 2022. USC lost to Utah. After, by the way, a couple of questionable defensive performances, they lost to the Utes in Salt Lake City in that amazing college football game, 43-42, to in their, wait for it, seventh game of the season. Now, were they blown out in any of those games? No, they were not. Things snowballed and got out of hand against Notre Dame. Not going to deny that. But here's what everyone else that's automatically riding off USC. And this is just something that I'm watching for over the next couple of weeks, starting with this Saturday against Utah. Here's what gets overlooked. Lincoln Riley has had a midseason loss four times that have that has not derailed his chances to make the college football playoff. USC wins the Pac-12 championship game a year ago. They're in the college football playoff, period, point blank, end of story. They were the number four team. They were 11-1. and They beat Utah. They're in. They got there, even though we were asking the same questions. Every single year, we were asking the same questions. We always, as a college football community, ask the same questions about a Lincoln-Riley coach team. Can your team tackle? Can you play enough defense? Or can you only win shootouts? 
Is that the only way you can win? Is just outscoring your opponent? Well, philosophically, that's clearly how he wants to win football games. Doesn't want to build an elite defense. Doesn't want to go in on that side of the ball. Doesn't want to hire a new defensive coordinator. He wants to just keep going. And that's that's his prerogative. I think that'll hold him back from ever winning a national championship. But it is clearly not going to be able to hold him back from making the playoff because he's already done it three times and he was within one game, one half of football of doing so again last year at USC. So I look at those those seasons. Lost his fifth game of the year, lost his sixth game of the year, lost his eighth game of the year, and lost his seventh game of the year. And in three of those four seasons, he either got to the playoff or, or no, in three of those seasons, he got to the playoff. And in the other season last year, he was within a game of doing so and played for the conference championship. Just saying, we're we're noticing a trend. It's not like it's a one-off. It's not like I'm I'm taking one se- excuse me one season of information and saying, well, this happened last year. It'll happen again. No, not automatically, right? Dan Lanning at Oregon is different. Well, last year Lanning, you know, lost a close game to Washington, and then lost a couple weeks later. I'm I'm not sitting here saying that same script is going to play out. What once could be a coincidence, twice even. But once you have three or four entire seasons of running a program and this trend is continuing, I find that to be a curious case to say the least. Were we unimpressed with USC prior to their loss, which I definitely thought was going to happen? I didn't think it would even be by that much, but you can't predict Caleb Williams to turn the ball over four times or three times. And USC, I think, had five turnovers total. It's curious because it's just following the exact same trend. And we had questions about USC before their big loss on Saturday. But if you went back and looked at the larger narratives surrounding his Oklahoma teams, what do you want to bet a lot of those same questions were there? Because they gave up 38 points at home to Iowa State when they lost in 2017. They gave up 48 to Texas in Red River. They gave up a bunch to Kansas State. They gave up 43 to Utah. It's the reason they lost. Same questions. And and for everyone jumping off the Caleb Williams hype train, let me also remind you that in the year in which he won the Heisman Trophy, deservedly so, which was, you know, 2022, he had a stinker of a game. Everybody lays a dud every now and then. Playing quarterback is ridiculously hard. You can't be perfect. Caleb Williams last year. Go look at his numbers. Actually, I'm going to pull them up right now. I'm going to pull them up right now because he had a game last year against Oregon State in which he was miserable. Now, USC ended up winning the game, but Caleb Williams' numbers went a little something like this. 16 of 36 throwing the ball for 180 yards and a touchdown. He was sacked twice. Does anything about that sound good? Was that the standard he set? No. No, it was not. I think he bounces back this week against Utah. I think USC bounces back this week. And then they will have the opportunity to eliminate the Utes from the college football playoff and potentially Pac-12 title discussion in all likelihood since Utah still has to play Oregon and Washington. And I don't think they win both of those games. And USC can put themselves 
right back into the top four. Interesting, interesting week ahead for the Trojans. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. Absolutely not. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only exclusions apply. eBay Guaranteed Fit only available to U.S. customers March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. We need an entire segment today on the show to talk about Noah Fafita. So Noah Fafita has been the starting quarterback for Arizona for each of the last three games since Jaden Delora got hurt. He has in those games, completed about 75% of his passes, throwing for 292 yards a game, eight touchdowns, two interceptions, and on the road against USC, let a comeback. Well, I guess they were up 17-0, but then they were trailing it, but then he drove them back down the field. He he had them uh, up three possessions against USC on the road. He made it come down to an onside kick with a big-time drive late in the game against Washington, 31-24 that game at home, and then most recently went into Washington State in Pullman, a tough place to play against a good football team, and absolutely demolished a good defensive staff and a good defensive team in Jake Dickert and the Washington State Cougars. So Arizona, who, by the way, is running for 164 yards a game. Did you see the way they ran the ball? against Washington State, they've got a number of really talented backs. I like their offensive pieces a lot. I like their offensive pieces before the year. And I know that Jaden Delora is a good player. But even if Delora comes back and is healthy, Noah Fafita is your starting quarterback if you're the Arizona Wildcats. If I'm Jed Fish, it it is Brock Purdy taking over for Jimmy Garoppolo. It's not that Jimmy Garoppolo was doing anything wrong. They were winning football games. But I'm watching the new guy, and I'm seeing a lot better stuff. It's comparable. It's not a Grand Canyon-sized gap. But I don't know how at this point in time, with the way they played against Washington, follow that up with a great showing against USC, and then follow that up with the most unexpected outcome maybe of the year to this point against Washington State. Winning the game is one thing. That was in my expected range of outcomes on Thursday's show last week. Nobody had that game 44 to 6. Nobody. And Fafita is the guy leading them right now. And he's playing really good football. He's throwing for 292 yards a game in three outings as a starter, eight touchdowns, two interceptions. 
Jaden Delora on the road against Mississippi State in a game that I knew Arizona was capable of keeping it close, but didn't think they would win. They ultimately lost in overtime. Jaden Delora has thrown five picks in two games this season that he started, including four at Mississippi State. He threw four interceptions in that game. Eerily reminiscent of Chance Nolan last year against USC for Oregon State. Nolan throws four picks in a game that ends 17-14. Delora throws four picks in a game that goes to overtime, and the Bulldogs end up winning 31-24. If, if that number is two interceptions, there's a really good chance Arizona wins that game. Arizona is either the USC or Mississippi State game, a win in either one of those games, both of which went to overtime. If they come, if they emerge victorious in either instance, they're a ranked football team right now, 1,000%. They'd be 5-2 and two with a road win against either an SEC team or USC. They'd be in the top 25. But the guy who has gotten them there has been Noah Fafita. And look, maybe Delora could have put him in that spot. Maybe. But you can't look at Fafita's body of work and in good conscience with that locker room, in my view. Maybe they truly believe in both guys. I cannot go back to Jaden Delora. Not because Delora isn't good enough to start. He is. But Fafita just went on the road at Washington State, a good defensive team with a good defensive coach in a raucous environment, poised for a bounce back. He went for 342 yards and no turnovers. He did not throw an interception in the football game. The offense was running wild. He is executing the offense well. He is making plays. He's making throws. He's got chemistry and confidence in his receivers. T-Mac and McMill or T-Mac and Cowing and Montana Lamonius Craig. He gets McLaughlin, the, the McLaughlin, the tight end involved. Like the, everything is there. They look like a good football team with him at the helm. I would not change the mojo. I really wouldn't. And it's not a shot at Dolores' game. It's just, that's the way things go sometimes. It's not the first time in sports a guy has been injured, his replacement comes in and starts outplaying him. You can't look at what Delora has done this season and what Fafita has done this season and say that Delora was better. All you can go off of is, well, he won the job in fall camp. Fact check true. He did. But fall camp is kind of like recruiting. It's mostly accurate but at the end of the day, it's a results business. And Fafita is giving you the results and gives you a great chance to win every single week. And they need to stick with him. I'm curious to see if they do. They're off this week before they play Oregon State uh, on the 28th. Big game in Tucson. Fafita should be the starter. He has absolutely earned it. And in my view, won the job from Jane Delora. Last thing here, speaking of the Wildcats, this mailbag question came in from Wildcat Dave. YouTube comments or Twitter at Smalls underscore 55 or at LO underscore pack 12 DMS and mentions are wide open. So this question came in from wildcat Dave asking about uh, why on every nationally televised broadcast that Colorado plays in, which is, you know, all of them for the most part, why the announcers are always so clearly on the side of the bus, or you can tell they have a rooting interest there. The answer is that Colorado is making a lot of money for the people who are employing said broadcasters. Remember the way that a dynamic works in a media rights situation with, with regards to broadcasting games. 
ESPN pays the Pac-12 for the right to broadcast select football games and basketball games, and they sell the advertising spots. And in their view, they either break even or will make more money based on what they're paying. Deion Sanders is delivering crazy television numbers. Crazy television numbers. SEC Big Ten television numbers. So ESPN as an entity is making plenty more money there than they otherwise would have broadcasting a select number of Colorado games. So as a result, it appears to me and a lot of other people in the media landscape and in the non-media landscape especially, that there is a rooting interest from media companies in Colorado's success. And it's plain and obvious, and I find it to be highly irritating. And a lot of other college football fans as well. When you tune in to a national TV broadcast, announcers are supposed to be unbiased and neutral. It is highly annoying when they appear slanted towards one side or the other. We've seen announcers do it before. It's not a new thing. It's still bothersome. With Colorado, it has clearly been taken to another level. If you listen to the tone and tenor of Mark Jones when he's on the call for ESPN for Colorado games or Joe Tessitore as well, fine announcers, by the way, when you hear those guys and how they are reacting and what it seems like they are thinking as Colorado is losing the football game compared to how they talk when Colorado is in the football game, it is pretty clear there's a rooting interest from up top. It might be coming from up top. They might be told, hey, you got to have a slant towards Colorado because Dion and the bus are making them a lot of are making the company a lot more money. I am not a fan of it. I get annoyed by it. And as a play-by-play announcer, I lament it. I am the radio voice of the Southern Utah Thunderbirds. Anytime I am broadcasting. And I, and I do television stuff for him as well. Anytime I am broadcasting on ESPN Plus, I am conscious of the fact that I am speaking to an audience that is beyond the Southern Utah demographic. And I think broadcast tandems would do well to remember that and not tick people off. Because I think that with the buffs, it's a great example of people don't dislike Colorado as much as they dislike the coverage of Colorado because Dion is so, you know, vibrant and a magnetic personality and gets a lot of attention. Everyone is of course trying to capitalize upon that. And I've talked about him plenty here on the show when I feel he or the buffs are the biggest story in the conference. But you also notice that since Colorado's Cinderella story has ended courtesy of my ducks, and then USC as well, and then you know Stanford for sure kind of put the final nail in the coffin there, they are not as big of a subject here on the show because they're not as relevant. But after their win against TCU, yeah, that was a massive story, no matter which way you, no matter which way you look at it. But the attempt by large media entities to make Deion Sanders and Colorado into a bigger story than they are a quality football team or turn them into something they're not wears on people. And I completely 
and totally empathize with that sentiment. And when I tune into an ESPN broadcast and the play-by-play guy and or the analyst are clearly at some level trying to hide their frustration or disappointment that Colorado is losing, it gets pretty annoying. So that's my thoughts on the matter. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time and have a wonderful rest of your day.